our bold predictions for 2023. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Bluestein. And I'm Patricia Murphy, and we are two of your political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome, and be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode, and be sure to rate us and review us while you're there, because it really helps us grow the show. Happy New Year, Patricia. Happy New Year, producer Shaney B. Happy New Year to all of our listeners. It was quite the end of 2022 especially for me being a Georgia fan, being on the field for the Georgia victory over Ohio State, the nail biter, the very end, um, which of course there's political implications with that because it means, <laughs> it means, if anything else, it means that the legislative session will get off to a much slower start than usual. And we'll get into all of that, but we also want to take this episode um, to go into some of our predictions. And Patricia and I didn't rehearse any of these. So basically <laughs> we'll be spitballing. I'll be offering a prediction. She'll be telling me, Either it's silly or it's right on. I think she'll be selling, telling me my predictions are more silly than right on. And I don't know. You're pretty good at these. You're pretty good. <laughs> you'll be doing the same to me. So we'll have some fun and we'll keep it. As of this taping, we don't know the future of the U.S. House Speaker and what the implications are for Georgia. So we're going to hold a little bit of, of that insight analysis for our next episode. Sounds good. Sounds good. I think we're ready to get going, aren't we? This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Okay, we're going to try this as something new. We have so much to talk about anyway, but we also decided that being the beginning of a new year, we can kind of go out on a limb and make some bold predictions for 2023. And Patricia, I guess I can, you want me to start off? Yes, you go. I want you to get started on predictions because um, I really do worry about predictions because they can go so wrong so quickly. And in Georgia, you just almost can, can guarantee there are going to be surprises that we never anticipated. So yeah. you, got, you got out on the limb first. And that's why at the end of the year, we'll, we'll look back to this episode and laugh at each other at how wrong we were. But here's my first prediction. The culture wars will take a break this legislative session. I don't think there'll be any significant There'll be attempts to limit abortion, expand gun rights and all that, but I don't think any of them will succeed. I don't think there'll be any big effort to revisit social legislation in 2023, at least by legislative leaders and Governor Brian Kemp. I think, again, there'll be rank and file efforts to do that, but nothing endorsed or passed through both chambers and to get to Governor Kemp's desk. That doesn't mean there won't be chaos. It'll be real tough sledding for the new leaders of the House and Senate to bring order to their chambers, 
But I do believe the late House Speaker David Ralston's maxim, he wanted this to be an opportunity session free of a lot of the divisive debates that we've seen in past legislative sessions. And I think that spirit will mostly prevail this legislative session. Patricia, what do you think? Am I totally wrong here? No, you know, I think I mostly agree with your prediction that the culture wars are going to take a bit of a pass, um, mostly because what's happening under the Gold Dome is similar to what's happening up in Washington, um, mostly in that a lot of leadership is new. And so the leadership, especially at the beginning, is going to be looking to establish itself, literally get its staffing taken care of, get the committee assignments made, get themselves organized. And so that doesn't leave a lot of extra room and energy for um, really taking on these big, hard issues. Also, I think that we know that, as you said, Speaker Ralston did not have the appetite for any kind of big cultural fights. And he typically really reflected his own membership very well. So when he made big, broad announcements like that, he would typically be speaking not just for himself, but also for his caucus. That was generally the temperature of the caucus. So I don't, I did not get the sense out on the campaign trail during the general election that there was a big appetite for those kinds of issues, either among the candidates or among the voters that they were trying to win over. Um, so I, um, I agree. I think we're not going to have big, big cultural issues come to the fore. One place I will say that we should look for some thing. Um, keep an eye on what Heritage Action is doing up in Washington. That's the group that is um, sort of the action piece and the legislative action piece for the Heritage Foundation, the um, kind of conservative think tank. We have seen a number of bills in Georgia come out of Heritage Action, including pieces of SB202 um, and parts of uh, the abortion bill that tends to percolate in Washington and become a nationwide legislative effort. So I'll be keeping an eye on um, heritage and the conservative think takes up in Washington. When they can't get a lot of traction in Washington, a lot of that action moves to uh, the states. And so Georgia is one of the states where it's most likely to catch fire. And so um, that's my one caveat to not looking for big cultural fights until, uh, until we see what doesn't happen in Washington. And then it may just trickle down here as well. Okay, but do you have a big, bold prediction to counter charge? So, you know, talking a little bit about what we think is going to be happening in the legislative session. I think that Buckhead City, I don't know that this is a huge uh, shocking prediction. I think that Buckhead City will be attempted but not get nearly as much um, oxygen as it did last year. I think that that has a lot to do with the leadership of Buckhead City. Um, Also the leadership of Atlanta. Andre Dickens has made uh, pretty significant inroads with lawmakers. Um, But I think he is still struggling, of course, with crime in the city. Um, And he asked lawmakers to give him a year to get this under control. And we're at about the year mark. So um, I think it will still be a conversation. But I don't think Buckhead City is going to get the kind of sort of out of nowhere momentum that it had last year where we were watching literally for every single bill we were looking to see if Buckhead City would be a part of legislation that was moving. It just doesn't feel like it has that kind of momentum coming into this year. I agree. I don't think Buckhead City will. Buckhead City Hood will have any sort of traction this year. Bill White, the leader of the movement, is disgraced himself to many of the state lawmakers, Republicans and Democrats, who want nothing to do with him. Um, he is allied with Burt Jones, but also he was very closely allied with David Perdue. Governor Brian Kemp doesn't forget that. Never endorsed the idea, never publicly opposed it either, um, but never really warmed to that idea. 
I was told by several reliable tipsters that Bill White was seen at a Buckhead restaurant with incoming Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones recently. And I checked in with Burt's camp and, you know, they, they, they said nothing, nothing has changed on that front in terms of, you know, a sudden movement towards Buckhead cityhood. What I think will be happening this legislative session in that area, in that arena, is that lawmakers are going to be embracing, get tough on crime, crime crackdowns, um, other efforts to try to rein in violent crime to show that they're doing something to combat the rising crime rates without fully endorsing Buckhead cityhood. So that is my guess there. Okay, Patricia, now I'm going to do my second prediction, which is Georgia will not eliminate the runoff system. I think the idea of a ranked choice voting system in Georgia is DOA, at least this year. I've heard more support for legislation to lower the threshold to win from a majority vote to maybe 45% or 48%. But even with that, there's some really stiff pushback. I think the most likely outcome is keeping the runoff system as it is still in play, but extending it a week or two to allow for more early voting, since that was one of the the biggest issues that lawmakers from both sides of the aisle had with early voting being shortened to just just one week in this race. So I, I just don't see the consensus yet for such a huge overhaul of eliminating the runoff system as, as much as people hate it, including many of our listeners, including many people in our neighborhoods. I, I just don't think that this is the year that will happen. Yes, you know, I agree with you. And that's because we are dealing with a whole group of lawmakers and a governor and everybody sitting in office has just won under the rules as they are. And so those are the type of people who do not want to change the rules that they just won with. Some of those people got through a runoff. Some of those people needed a runoff in order to get to the next phase of their election or even to the win, to win their election outright. So you tend to see people thinking very granularly when it comes to election reform, as in, what does this do to me and my election? And so it would be a big, big risk for these lawmakers to start to go in and make a huge, a really big, big overhaul like just eliminating runoffs altogether. I do think they will kind of noodle at it on the edges a little bit. I think they will listen to feedback from the counties, especially who really struggled with that four-week deadline, especially when you're talking about getting out absentee ballots, when you're talking about sort of how many days are there between general election day and then days to have mandatory early voting, that is just a huge stress on counties. And counties go back to their lawmakers and they go back to the General Assembly every year to say, okay, here are the things that were really hugely problematic to us. And they they offer a lot of, I think, really valuable feedback that the General Assembly is um, typically quite receptive of. And so I think that they'll listen to that kind of feedback, but less feedback from professors and columnists who <laughs> say it's time to dump the runoff just because <laughs> it is such a heavy lift. Um, so I agree with you on that one, Greg. Okay, so my prediction is going to also be in the realm of voting. And I think you and I might disagree with this, I do not think that Republicans are going to move up the Democratic primary for the presidential nominating process. That is an idea 
of Joe Biden's, um, a proposal from President Joe Biden. It requires um, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger and some combination of Republicans to greenlight that. Raffensperger says he doesn't want to have separate runoff dates. That's not required to always have the same runoff date for Democrats and Republicans for presidential primaries. Um, some states don't have them on the same day. It just means you have to have two presidential primaries, which is incredibly confusing and expensive. Mm-hmm. Raffensperger doesn't want to do that. The RNC has not talked about changing their primary calendar around. And so you start to look at a whole bunch of dominoes that would need to line up for Republicans in order for them to see this as anything good for them and just only good for Joe Biden and how he might get reelected. So I don't think I don't think Republicans are going to go along with that and help Biden move the primary calendar in Georgia. Yeah, I'm leaning towards that thought. It's just such a heavy lift. You know, it, it does stand to benefit Republicans this cycle, at least more than Democrats, because there's going to be an open Republican race for president. There might not be an open Democratic race for president so long as Joe Biden runs for another term. But there's so many moving parts here. And the first thing that Democrats need to get is they need to essentially get the Republican sign off that Republican states that move their elections won't jeopardize their Republican delegates. And there's negotiations. There could be negotiations going on right now. But basically, Democrats need to get sign off from the RNC and from Governor Kemp's office and Republican lawmakers to make this happen. And they need to convince Kemp and his allies that this also stands to benefit him as well. And look, it does. You know, Kemp can play this unique role as this as a kingmaker or queenmaker in the Georgia primary, the earlier it is, the more influence he might have over the presidential process. But is this something Governor Kemp wants to put his capital behind, his influence behind? No, he doesn't want to be out there saying he thinks Joe Biden's idea to move Georgia up is brilliant at this stage in his political career. So I'm with you. It's going to be real hard. I wouldn't rule it out, but it's going to be real hard to get this one passed. That will segue into another political prediction I have is this Atlanta will get the Democratic National Convention. Uh, Atlanta is a finalist with uh, Chicago. New York is also still in the mix, but Atlanta has already taken all these steps uh, behind the scenes. I had an article about it right before the break about the efforts that Mayor Andre Dickens, that Nakima Williams, that City Boosters have already put together an impressive non-political, apolitical team to win this convention. We won't know for a few more weeks, maybe even a few more months, but the team Georgia's put together, the case they're making, and frankly, the fact that Georgia is a battleground state and Illinois is not, really bodes well for the city of Atlanta, the state of Georgia. And the underlying, the sort of the root of the message from these boosters is that they want Joe Biden to have the party he didn't have three years ago in 2020 when his Milwaukee Democratic National Convention was severely curtailed because of the coronavirus pandemic. You know, I agree with you on this one. I have long thought that Georgia would get one of the two big prizes. They would either have the primary moved up or they would get the Democratic Convention. It was hard to believe that both would happen to Georgia in the same year. They're not technically connected. There's certainly no rule about that. But both of these these decisions are really going to come down mostly to President Joe Biden, we've been told. And uh, he is somebody who 
apparently Keisha Lance Bottoms has been working on assiduously, especially on this Atlanta bid, and um, somebody who I think knows that not just Georgia, but the entire Deep South is crucial to Democrats' ambitions in the future. This is where they're, um, the, you know, the politics are not aligning in every state right now, but it is where the uh, sort of the, where new businesses are moving. It's where the population is moving. It's a younger, more diverse population. And so that's exactly the part of the country that Democrats want to showcase themselves to. And so I do think that Atlanta is going to get it. And so I look forward to covering a huge event and not getting on an airplane to do it. So (laughs) (laughs) although my sister lives in Chicago, so that would be fine by me too. I'd be happy with either one. (laughs) We're all staying at your sister's house. Yeah, totally. Okay, so that brings me to my next prediction, and that is that Joe Biden will run for re-election. I think that he is uh, not as young as he used to be, but he's also somebody who has really delivered for Democrats, and you just don't feel an alternative to Joe Biden percolating strongly out there. And if it's something that he decides to step back, it will be, I think it will be sort of a last minute announcement. But as of now, all signs are pointing to Biden running again. I don't, I think a lot of people didn't think he would run in the first place because of his age. That's obviously something that was not a factor for him at the time. And so he and his administration seem to be all systems go. And you don't hear Democrats complaining about that loudly. I mean, they look around the landscape and think who could do better, who would win instead of Biden. And there's not an easy answer for that. Um, Also, taking on a sitting president, if he does decide to run again, is just an extremely uphill climb. And um, so Mm -hmm. I think that Biden is going to run again here. And uh, he could be in Atlanta to get nominated when he does it. Not surprising. I agree with you on that one. And we heard a lot of the anti-Biden movement in the Democratic Party peter out as his approval rating started inching a little bit higher. But frankly, after the midterm, when Democrats did a lot better than many pundits, many Democratic lawmakers even thought they would, uh, averting the full-scale red wave and instead, you know, the red the red splashback. But it wasn't this red tidal wave that swept over the country. Democrats retained the majority in the U.S. Senate. Democrats uh, made it really close in the U.S. House. Democrats did well in many states around the country. Um, held their own here in Georgia, really the status quo held in Georgia. And so a lot of that anti-Biden push petered out. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, with your other host, Patricia Murphy. 
We're not only the host of this podcast, we're also the authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, along with our Washington correspondent, Tia Mitchell, which sets the stakes in the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join the community now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. And your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. So you always know what's really going on. Patricia, it's been like, feels like a month since I've had to read that line before because we've had, we've had, we taped a lot of podcasts before the break and we both were on some excellent holiday vacation adventures. Yes, we were. And um, well, let me rephrase this. I think you were on some excellent holiday adventures and I had a to-do list that I had built for myself over the last year that was 40, I had 49 things on my to-do list, like around the house and just for my kids and whatever. And I got through 42 uh, of them. And so I had the best two weeks ever. <laughs> you got through, there was, was laundry on the list? <laughs> laundry was definitely... <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to get to the bottom of my laundry pile if it's the last thing that I do. That The sun will not set on 2022 with all of these socks just staring at me. <laughs> so yes, Greg, and I know that doesn't sound fun to you, but it has lifted the weight of a thousand worlds off of my shoulders. Like I caulked the kitchen, like we had a little thing that was bug- bugging me. Um, I just did all the things on my to-do list. And my sister came in town from Chicago, so... I wanted to be in town for her with that. And so then we hung out with my kids and my sisters and my parents. And we just had an awesome break. It was fabulous. But I have not talked to you in at least two weeks, I don't think. I know. We texted, but we didn't, we didn't talk over the break. Um, no, we were, out of, we, I mean, we, were, we were out of the country. I know you were. We, uh, we took the kids on a cruise over Christmas. Where did y'all go? It went to Grand Turk. And Dominican Republic. Hello. And yeah, Grand Turk was, it was actually the island of Grand Turk, which was basically just a beach. It was fun. I rented a golf cart, took the kids around the whole island in about two hours. And oh, <laughs> how great. It I love it. But in the Dominican, we had a blast. We went to this dolphin park and uh, the guy, I reached an agreement with one of the guys who's in charge of this big dolphin show to have one of my daughters be the star of the show that day. Stop. So she got of course to, like, you did. <laughs> She got to go, I don't know, water ski with dolphins and play basketball and all this stuff. My kids are going to be so disappointed if they hear this episode. They're going to be like, I did not know that that was an option. I didn't know. (laughs) I have to watch you folding socks. (laughs) Well, and then my biggest thing kind of, I was like, are we going to survive as a family four days cooped up into this little room on a a cruise boat? Because Cheryl, my wife and I have been on cruises plenty, but, um, but the kids hadn't. And we hadn't been on a cruise since the kids, really since they were born, but they ended up, they were troopers. They loved it. They, they, we gave them freedom on the boat. We would say, Hey, meet us at three o'clock to do family bingo, whatever. My kids just fell in love with the idea of a schedule because you know, the cruise has these, uh, these intense schedules of things going on every minute. So they had this like minute by minute detailed schedule that they put out and they put it on the door every night and daddy, this is where you've got to be here. And, you got to be a family Lido deck. Yeah. Lido deck party at this time. And I said, okay, I'll just show up whenever you want me to. Otherwise I'm cool. I love it. I love to travel. I am so scared of uh, cruises. To me, that is terrifying. That is not a vacation. It is an assault on all of my senses. I would be so scared. I I would be scared if I can't see land. I want to know I can swim to safety. So somehow flying seems like a better bet. Flying. (laughs) 30,000 miles over the ocean. 
we're going to hide a cruise on your to-do list and you're going to get to item number 50. <laughs> Wait, Wait tell me about me, the Georgia game. Let's talk about yeah, that. Yeah, the highlight for me was I made sure we left. We went to Universal and Disney for a couple of days after the cruise um, got off. So we went to some theme parks. And then Saturday morning on New Year's Eve, I made sure everyone was in the car and ready to go by 6 a.m. because I had to get back to Atlanta early afternoon because one of my jobs for like literally the last almost two decades um, for the Associated Press and for the AJC at various points, I help out our photographers on the sidelines. What for do very you do? I like, see you down there, but I don't understand what that work is supposedly that you're doing. So there's dual tracks. So one of them is I'm like a, um, I'm a runner. They call it a photo runner. And so like I have my tennis back. shoes on and I run after, you know, turnovers, touchdowns, huge moments in the game, uh, ends of first quarter, ends of the half, whatever that big time periods. I take the photo chips from our photographers. Sometimes we have two or three or four even on the field and I run them back to a computer. Sometimes there's an editor there waiting to ingest those photos. Sometimes in this case, I had to do it myself, edit the photos real quick send them up to an editor who in this case was back in Atlanta, who was doing a much more thorough job editing than I did. Uh, and then I run back and I make sure the photographers have fresh chips. They have batteries for their cameras, do all that stuff because they just have to be on the sideline the entire time. So I get this unbelievable vantage on the sidelines of these games. I've done this for Rose Bowl, Super Bowl, Orange Bowl, MLS Cup, Braves playoff games, SEC championships, NFL playoff games, big, big moments. And I got to do the national championship in Indianapolis. And I, of course, I got to do the Peach Bowl and I'm going to LA on Saturday and planning to do it again there. <laughs> um, but the other mission I have is I help distribute the AJC field editions if we win. If, the, if Georgia wins, the AJC preprints all these cool editions. In this case, the edition said, Cheers. And inside it said, because Georgia beat the Buckeyes, it said, bye, bye, Buckeyes, it's our house. And so it didn't That's have the amazing. score or anything. That's amazing so they can the, do it beforehand. Yeah, well, there's no score or anything like, like that. It's just very generic, but it's really cool. It's a keepsake. And yeah, my job is to get it out on the field, get it in the hands of Stetson Bennett, of Kirby Smart, of <gasps> you know the biggest players, make sure it's on TV, and it becomes this instant keepsake. So well, you know they'll frame it. That is so cool. Yeah. And, um, and I get to keep one for myself. So there That's we so go. Awesome. Now, while you were doing that, my daughter and I were watching Matilda the musical on New Year's Eve. And that was my very best way to ring in the new year. But Todd and oh. our son were watching the Georgia game as well. I would have done dogs. both if I could at the same time, but I had to pick sides. Before we get into our next prediction, I'll give an easy prediction. Georgia over TCU by 14 points. Boy, they better so, hope we'll so. <laughs> they better hope so. <laughs> <laughs> for my sake, at least, and for all the fans who are going out there. Um, so real prediction, Patricia, my next prediction is lawmakers, speaking of Georgia football, lawmakers will legalize sports betting oh, this yes. year. It's been a real up and down battle over years. I mean, I've been writing about the legal, the effort to legalize sports gambling in Georgia for for, for more than a decade, casino gambling. Um, it's gonna, it won't be easy, but it was telling to me that th this past election cycle when Stacey Abrams endorsed legalizing casino gambling and, and allowing sports betting. Uh, G Governor didn't change his stance opposing, he personally opposes legalizing um, casino gambling, but through his aides, he signaled, they signaled that he would be supportive of legalizing 
sports betting. So now the question is, can lawmakers get that through? What form will it take? You know, will casino gambling advocates push to expand it in ways that some lawmakers might not be comfortable? Uh, I think either way, this in, this session ends with legal sports betting being legalized. And we know now that the Metro Atlanta Chamber is really putting a lot of effort behind this, saying that Georgia's losing out on uh, all sorts of untold revenue that's going, you know, to other other conservative states like Tennessee have, have passed similar measures. So I would wager that Georgia ends <laughs> this session with sports betting on the books. Greg, I'm going to bet against you on this one. Um, this, I am always... Every year, you know, I feel like it's like Charlie Brown and the football, except somebody's betting on it somewhere in some online casino. It is as every every year, it's like, this is the year, this is the year it's going to happen. And it really feels like that's the year. And then all of a sudden, it's dead for the year. What tends to happen with these sports bills, um, sports betting makes the most sense. It's perfectly logical for Georgia to legalize online sports betting because everybody's already doing it and all of the revenue is going out of state. So should people simply capture that revenue and bring it in state? Yes, that makes a lot of sense. However, down at the Capitol, it tends to become an omnibus bill and the casino lobbyists are so powerful nationwide. They are so powerful and it's not really a Georgia play. It's sort of a national play and we're talking about people, um, particularly in Las Vegas and New York, um, just hugely powerful interests, always want to put casino betting as a condition to help move forward sports betting. And then in, once those two groups are together, then the racetracks and the mm-hmm. um, then the groups that want to promise racetracks in these small rural towns around Georgia also get lumped into the mix. And then suddenly you have this huge omnibus betting bill and you're talking about building casinos and you're talking about building racetracks and horse tracks. And then the Christian right tends to start to have a a major opposition to some of one of those three parts. And it just crumbles (laughs) at the very end. Even though, even the last session, all of the big sports teams, the Braves were behind it, the Falcons were behind it, you know, Everybody who seemed like the important people who needed to be behind this bill were behind it, and it still fell apart at the end. So I think betting in Georgia is a bad bet. (laughs) (laughs) I like the puns. Um, Okay. You know, I feel like when I started off with Buckhead, I was burying the lead because one of my biggest predictions, predictions for the year is that Donald Trump will be indicted by the Fulton County Grand Jury. Um, It is hard to believe that this entire process of Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis working to convene a special grand jury, the special grand jury going through this incredibly assiduous investigation, bringing in witnesses one by one, forcing people who were fighting their subpoenas to come through and testify um, to go. They've been going to other states, sending prosecutors to other states to make the case for the county that those witnesses, including Rudy Giuliani, including Lindsey Graham, that they all have to come here to testify. So many resources have been put behind this effort. And I think that the January 6th committee is a really good example that there was so much more there there than prosecutors were expecting when they began the process. I would assume the same thing is happening in the Fulton County grand jury process and that there is an immense amount of evidence and a paper trail and a text trail and a telegram trail um, leading back to Donald Trump than even we might have imagined. And so I think he will be indicted. I agree. I think Donald Trump will get indicted. I don't think it will stop there. I think several of his allies will also face criminal indictments. And I think it will set the stage for 
what could really truly be the trial of the century, at least up to this point, being right in our backyard in the middle of downtown Atlanta. Okay, my next prediction, Patricia, is, and this isn't a really gutsy one, but I do think it's going to play a major role in this year. I think Governor Kemp will start enjoying the spotlight a little bit more, and I think he'll embrace his, his national role. He's got all these vehicles now, fundraising mechanisms, the leadership committee, federal PACs, all these different outfits and outlets to influence policy, not just in Georgia, but nationally. He'll be talked about as a potential running mate to any candidate in the non-Trump lane running for president. He'll be, of course, talked about as a potential 2026 candidate against Senator John Ossoff, who's facing re-election in, in a scant three years. Um, so I think that Brian Kemp is going to play a much larger role nationally. I think he might show up on more national TV programs. I think that when RGA, the Republican Governors Association, starts uh, having more conventions and starts wading into more policy debates, Governor Kemp will be front and center. And I think he's also going to take a turn in the spotlight as a surrogate for a lot of uh, candidates running for re-election or pushing certain issues that he agrees with. So I think we're going to see Governor Kemp on the national stage. And it's not something that we've seen from either him or his predecessor, Nathan Deal. I mean, Nathan Deal kind of stayed away from RGA meetings. He was not on the campaign trail nationally uh, at all. He was focused more on Georgia, and he just wasn't interested as much. He had already served in Washington. That was not on his to-do list, as you would say, for Governor Kemp. I think that there is a, a, a very realistic possibility that if he's not a national figure in 2024, he's a Senate candidate in 2026. Yes, I completely agree. And one reason I agree with you is that Kemp has taken his political operation that he used to run for governor and then run for reelection just incredibly effectively. And I think that he got all kinds of national plaudits, especially after this past election where he went up against both a Donald Trump primary opponent and Stacey Abrams and won by these huge margins that people had not predicted. He got a ton of attention for that nationally. So that same campaign operation, the same hands behind that, have now built a political operation for Kemp to use with a national focus. And so I think that will just naturally expand the opportunities for him because he's taking the talent and taking it from one field and putting it on another. Um, and he's just simply there is, there's just really no way to argue it. He's just one of the most successful governors in the country at the moment, electorally, in terms of uh, where the state is financially. He has just a number of things that he can take to other Republicans and who other Republicans want to come to him and say, hey, how did you do that? Um, not the least of which is how did you get through a Republican primary and a general election with a really tough opponent in both cases and just make it look like it wasn't hard at all, when in fact it was hard but they ended up putting together an operation that just dispensed with it very, very quickly. So I think it's um, both a combination of the circumstances and the staff he has around him um, and the timing. It's a presidential election year, or it will be. Donald Trump is very clearly on the decent and not the ascent. And there is going to be a vacuum at the top of the Republican Party for political talent, people who know how to win. I think that Kemp Obviously, he doesn't have the same kind of razzle dazzle as uh, who would you who you would think of as being a natural national spokesman, a natural um, simply a natural candidate who you you see certain candidates you say, wow, that guy 
is running for president. It's so obvious. You don't get that vibe off of him. But he just has a record that's not going to be ignored by other Republicans around the country. So I think you're exactly right. We're going to see a lot more of Kemp and it will be in national settings um, rather than simply uh, state and local settings. Yeah. Um, So Greg, spinning off of your prediction about Kemp, my prediction is that Democrats in Georgia are going to not make a lot of changes. I think that even though they had a an incredibly rough election year, uh, losing every single statewide race by gigantic margins, with the exception of Raphael Warnock, because Warnock came last and Warnock had this huge standalone victory in December instead of being sort of a footnote on a bad night in November, it just feels like Democrats just won in the state <laughs> and they didn't. <laughs> they kind of won in the state. So um, you don't get the feeling that there is a huge deep level of introspection among Democrats in Georgia right now. They, send, they tend to still think um, the demographics are going their way in the state, that it, the state is getting younger, it's getting more diverse. Atlanta and the metro area are getting larger. And so all of those factors just add up to sort of a Democratic future instead of a Republican future. So I don't hear a lot of soul searching among Democrats in a way that you would I would have expected after Stacey Abrams lost by eight points. I really do feel like that Warnock victory, um, maybe just maybe that just answered the question for Democrats. If not Abrams way, then maybe let's do it Warnock's way. And if you look at the reception that Raphael Warnock got in Washington when he went back up for his swearing in on Tuesday, there was a Congressional Black Caucus event where every member of the Black Caucus was introduced on stage. And, um, you know, his members announced, yay, announced, yay, Raphael Warnock. Wow, you know, this (laughs) huge roar, this eruption of applause and approval and just kind of adoration. And so Warnock, a lot like Kemp, is operating sort of in his own sphere of political success right now. We don't know exactly what he's going to do with it. I'll be so fascinated to see what kind of record he starts to lay out now that he has six years. He's got six Mm -hmm. years to really stretch his legs and really think what kind of a senator do I want to be? What kind of an impact do I want to have now that I don't have to worry about getting reelected every minute of every day? And he's had to have that mindset since the minute he decided to get into the Senate race um, to challenge Kelly Loeffler. And uh, now he's uh, got just a totally different situation and he's coming off of a huge win and it really does feel like democrats in georgia are focusing more on that win than on abram's loss i agree we didn't hear that much soul searching i did a story a few weeks ago where i talked to a lot of senior democratic leaders on the record and said what lessons were learned and a lot of them said hey you know we need to continue to energize the base and we also need to reach out to the middle that's what that's what Senator Warnock was able to do against Herschel Walker. He could claim the center in a way that Herschel Walker couldn't. That's what Governor Kemp was able to do against Stacey Abrams. He could claim those swing voters. He could claim that center ground that Stacey Abrams struggled to uh, to incorporate into her coalition. And I think that's going to continue to be an issue. That bleeds into my final two predictions here as well, Patricia, which is I think John Ossoff will embrace the same strategy. We're already seeing that as he gears up for 2026. It's a long way out, but certainly it's... I can guarantee you it's on John Ossoff's mind right now. We've already seen him um, go to very deep red areas around the state, show where areas where he's worked across party lines for broadband infrastructure, um, prison reform, issues that are that are near and dear to voters from both sides of the party divide. And I think, too, we're going to see Keisha Lance Bottoms, 
We're going to see her profile continue to rise. She is playing a very instrumental role in Joe Biden's White House. She's certainly uh, cemented a role in Joe Biden's inner circle. And she's one of the few Georgians who has the sort of influence that she has had in the White House right now. And I'll be interested, just as we're watching how Governor Kemp and Senator Warnock use their newfound influence. Keisha Bottoms is not in in that same stratosphere, I would argue, but she certainly has her own political capital to burn. So we'll see what she decides to do with that. Interesting. Maybe she'll chair the Democratic convention in Atlanta. We'll see. (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) I have moved on from prediction to just rank speculation and just guessing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is all the time we have for today's show. Coming up on Friday's episode, we'll answer your questions from the listener mailbag, which you can now call into. It's the Politically Georgia podcast hotline. You can call anytime, leave a question. We'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. Shaney B would love to hear from you because, you know, a lot of those former interns who were promoted, they've gone. They've moved on to other jobs this year. So Shaney It's all B on is, me now, but but I'm up to the task. It's all on you. You just, you just dial away. <laughs> Do we already have some good calls, Shaney B? Oh, we've got a few in the hopper. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Thanks so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can count on new episodes to come out every Wednesday, every Friday, and whenever news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years and I am still amazed at how rich the city's black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that black people might want to know about. Like historically black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologeticallyATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Journal-Constitution.